Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible author and founder of the Institute for Transformational Thinking, Aura Nadrich. Hi, Aura, and welcome to the show. Hi, Zach. Thank you for having me. Today, we are going to talk about living true to ourselves. And for those that don't know, Aura Nadrich is the founder of the Institute for Transformational Thinking and the author of Says Who? How One Simple Question Can Change the Way You Think Forever, as well as the book Live True, A Mindfulness Guide to Authenticity, which was named as one of the 100 best mindfulness books of all time by Book Authority. She is a certified life coach and mindfulness teacher specializing in transformational thinking, self-discovery, and mentoring new coaches as they develop their careers. Her work has been featured in Women's Health Magazine, Reader's Digest, Conscious Lifestyle Magazine, Fast Company, Success Magazine, Spirituality Health, and many other outlets. How are you doing today, Aura? I'm well, Zach. Thank you. How about yourself? I'm very well, and I'm actually quite excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on. And I have so many questions, but I just want to begin with the most like fundamental question of all, which is, who are you? Now, I just read your bio to our listeners, but that, of course, doesn't fully describe who you are as a person. And I know in your books and writings, you talk about this fundamental question, who am I or who are you? And you write about that this question leads us on the path of self-discovery. So I'm curious, how might you answer this question, who are you? You know, I feel that I am somebody who, yes, of course, I have my identity, I have my role, I have my persona, which we all do, meaning the things that we do, and whether that's professionally, or our vocation, or our interests, you know, and again, I say, those are the things that we do. But when I ask that question, who am I? I really propose the question of who are we deep within our soul, if you will? Who is the essence of us? And the way I would answer that for myself is that I consider myself somebody who is a seeker of knowledge and truth on the planet that we live on, and that I am somebody who very much wants to know what we're doing here, what is our purpose. I believe that we're here for a reason and that we're here to come to know what our life is about on this planet. So I guess I could say I could encapsulate Mm. that by saying I am somebody who is very much a seeker of truth of this life. Wonderful. Such big questions you're seeking to answer here. What are we doing here? (laughs) What is our purpose? And what is this? What is this truth? So let's, let's get right down to it. What does it mean to live our truth? You know, I talk about that, obviously, throughout Live True, which is so self explanatory in the title itself, what does it mean to live true? And I call it a mindfulness guide to authenticity. 
The definition of authenticity or being authentic is to be genuine and real. So one has to really ask that for themselves. Am I being who I really am? Am I being true to who I am? Am I living the moments of my life truthfully, authentically, genuinely, real? Do you know, sometimes we are so many things to so many people that we lose sight of who we need to be for ourselves. So what I propose is, again, it's more of an existential question and an understanding of self, if you will, and to ask ourselves, am I living my life truthfully? Am I living my life honestly? Am I living my life as my most authentic self? So I love that you said in our society, we have so many people telling us how we should live, right? We have to be so many things to so many people that we lose sight of who we need to be to ourselves. So I feel like we're talking very abstractly. How do I know if I am on the right path? Right. To really concretize this and just to apply it to everyday life, if you will, that's when I bring in mindfulness. As a mindfulness practitioner, mindfulness is the practice of being present with the awareness of who we are in the moment that we are in, which means who is showing up in this moment? How am I behaving in this moment? How am I acting in this moment? What am I saying in this moment? What am I doing in this moment? And having an awareness of that, we take responsibility, we take agency and ownership over ourselves, our actions, our deeds, our words. So it really is a conscious awareness, if you will, of who we are. And I'm not going to pretend that it's not work. It's work. And by having a more heightened awareness of self, we become more aware of others. We become aware of our environment. We become aware of our community, we become aware of our world. And it's sort of a rippling effect, if you will. So to begin with the understanding of who am I today? Who am I right now? Who am who am I in this interview with Zach? Do you know? Who is the aura that is showing up in this interview? Well, I'd like to say that I'm bringing the best of who I am to this interview and having a conscious awareness of that. I don't want to be distracted. I don't want to be thinking about what I'm going to do later in the day or thinking about something that happened yesterday. That again is implementing mindfulness. Mindfulness is being in the present moment with total awareness. So I'd like to bring all of myself to the moment that I'm in right now with an awareness of who I'm being in it. Mm. Bring all of yourself to the moment with an awareness of who you are in it. And that to you is what living true is. Yeah, I believe it is. Because I have to check with myself to say, am I being true in this moment? Am I being real? Am I being honest? Am I showing up as the aura that I personally like to hold accountable every day? Yeah, I'm thinking like how often we aren't true, both to ourselves and to others. You know, people ask us how we are doing, for example. And, you know, we had a really rough day and we're stressed and we can't stop thinking about our partner who said that one thing. But then we just said, you know what, I'm fine. <laughs> you know, because there's that time to like go into what we're actually experiencing. How important it is that we can be authentic and be more authentic to each other. And so I wanted to ask you, because so you've true. used this word a couple times about self. You said, we want to come to a heightened awareness of self. And people in the spiritual world sometimes distinguish between like the capital S self or the greater self or the higher self to contrast it with like the lower self. 
but many people aren't even familiar with this word at all. So I'm curious, when you use this term self, yourself, myself, big self, heightened self, awareness right. of self, Small, um, small, what do you mean? small self. <laughs> There's small self, big self, right. red self, blue self. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. It's very subjective. And, you know, yes, of course, we can get even abstract about that. We can get existential. We can get philosophical. We can get a lot of things about trying to deconstruct and or define what the word self means. And as you mentioned, there are all different manifestations of that depending on how you define self. Okay, so I mean, again, if we go into the basic definitions of self, a person's essential being, I think, is their self that distinguishes them from someone else. You know, who is the self aura that distinguishes me from you, Zach? Do you know that I define myself as so that I can really acknowledge my differences, my uniqueness, my individuality, if you will, that helps me define myself as separate from other. You know, Carl Jung talked about that as the individuation process, where we individuate away from other in that we can define who we are separate from other. Do you know, a lot of people are very enmeshed in other, meaning they over-identify with someone else, or they feel at the effect of someone else's identity or persona or their self, the other self. So they don't know where they begin and in relation to the other person. And that's why I think understanding the self is so important. You know, the inquiry of who am I going back to the original question that you asked me so that we can define ourselves separate from other. I want to tie what you just said back into this idea of being true to ourselves, because you mentioned this really important individuation process, this really important process of coming into oneself, and how easy it is to fall into what other people want us to be, what society wants us to be. Whether you're a man or a woman, society is going to tell you that you should be a certain way. And for the first 18, maybe even 30 years of your life, your parents have tried to develop you in the way that they want you to be. You know, you say, I want to be a painter. And you said, well, too bad. You're not going to make money doing that. So you right. should be a doctor or a lawyer. Right. <laughs> exactly. Very often, yes, said, I'm sure, in many a household. So I'm very curious how you might recommend first becoming aware of the roles that have been put on us by external forces and how to shed those and be true to ourselves? You know, it's a really good question. And your example of that is, is really very common in that in the formative years of one's life, I mean, we all grow up in our households with a certain type of parenting, if you will, and conditioning and the influences that can tell us who we are, who we should be, or who we're not. You know, I have two children myself, and I said very early on that I like my boys to tell me who they are. It's not for me to tell them who they are. Do you know? So I think that's probably a more progressive way to parent, if you will. And I take great pride in, again, respecting and allowing for my children's individuation from me or my husband so that they can define themselves, you know, and distinguish themselves. So I think that to really answer your question, how do we really look at that once we go into adulthood, you know, because I work with so many people that are still so influenced by what was told to them early on in childhood. And I think that it's so important to define that and we can define that at any time. I'm just about to release a 
journal called the Live True Daily Journal, which is really designed as a two-month journal to gauge one's defining of themselves and on the authentic journey, if you will. And that it's so easy to slip back into old habits or old behaviors of or patterning that we think we should be or act a certain way because that was what was told to us, do you know? But we can change that at any given time. And my work is very present moment focused in that I do work that's very much about how do we change ourselves in real time. And so a lot of my skill sets or my methods and techniques that I offer up really support somebody in defining themselves in present time. Hmm. I love this idea of changing ourselves in real time. And I really appreciate your emphasis on being in the moment and being who we are as real as we can be in this moment right now. And I'm reminded of what is sometimes referred to as the two wings of spiritual awakening. One is our attention, which can be in the here and now. And the other is our intention, which in this case is being true and authentic. And I wanted to ask you, when we talk about ourselves and we talk about ourselves as an individual and living true to ourselves, how do we also love ourselves in the moment? How do we also extend kindness and compassion to ourselves? Mm. I love talking about love. So you got me there. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, <laughs> going back to mindfulness and the definition of mindfulness, and you know, there are different definitions of mindfulness. Mindfulness, as I said, is the practice of being present in the present moment with an awareness and also with self-acceptance, non-judgment. And I like to say, put the cherry on top is with self-love. So if you take all of that awareness and you say, you know, I'm going to be in this moment with total awareness of myself. And that means who am I, who is showing up in this moment? And am I present in this moment? Am I accepting of what is in this moment? And can I accept what is in this moment with self-love? You know, those are really good questions to ask ourselves because we do really need to focus on the importance of practicing self-love more than anything, do you know? And that's really, to me, the perfect trifecta of mindfulness, of the practice of being present, is that you have the awareness of being in the present moment, You have the acceptance of the moment that you are in and you accept the moment you are in with self-love. You know, if people can do that, if they can really accomplish that, that's quite a wonderful thing to accomplish in one's daily life. We also know that by practicing mindfulness, by being aware, we can also be aware of when we're not giving ourselves self-love. Mindfulness makes us aware of the thoughts that we are holding in our mind at that given moment. And those thoughts can be critical and they can be negative and they can be full of non-self-love, if you will. So that's having an awareness of that we're not giving ourselves self-love in the moment that we're in right now. And hopefully we can catch it and say, hey, you know, I'm not really loving myself very much right now. I'm telling myself some things that are not about self-love. What's that about? And saying it with gentleness and with kindness towards oneself. That's also extremely helpful because we all have the inner critic, as we know, and we all are going to have those negative and fear-based thoughts. And again, pointing to mindfulness, it gives us the awareness. It's such an incredibly valuable tool to use to be aware of when we're not doing a really good job at giving ourselves self-love. 
I love that distinction that you just made because a lot of people stop halfway through in their definition of mindfulness. So you mentioned the mindfulness as the practice of being present. And a lot of people just stop there. But then you added, well, of course, we want to infuse self-acceptance, non-judgment to ourselves, and self-love as the cherry on top. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't want people... <laughs> I say it like that. And I have to say, I've never heard another mindfulness practitioner or author say that in that way. So I like to think it's kind of my own interpretation of the self-love aspect of it. I like to say that because it really lessens the burden, if you will, to somebody practicing mindfulness. It's like, wait a minute, if I'm not in the moment and I'm not accepting what is and I'm not loving myself, then I'm a failure at mindfulness. And I don't want someone to feel that way. What I want to suggest is I'm offering up all of the possibilities that can happen in the glorious moment that you're in and to really propose the opportunity that you have to First of all, to be present, be in the moment, again, with self-acceptance and also with self-love so that a person who wants to implement that is really considering it for themselves. And they're like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. I would like to do that. Now, there are going to be times where maybe I'm not feeling it. There are going to be times when I'm going to have to work a little bit harder at the self-love cherry on top moment of the moment. Do you know? So I really want to offer that up to people to say, oh, it's so wonderful if you can just be in the moment with self-love too. Give it a go. You know, try it. See how it makes you feel. Hmm. I love what you just said. I want to offer up all the possibilities that can happen in the glorious moment that you are in. Yeah. And you just mentioned mindfulness being a really wonderful tool to kind of interrupt the self-negative talk we often find ourselves in to like notice when we're being our own inner critic and to replace that with acceptance. And I want to continue that thought and almost take it to the next level because Live True, it's a very affirming book. It's very, very positive. As you mentioned, opening up all the possibilities that can happen in the glorious moment that we are in. And something that you write in your book is that the truth is you are magic, you are the high, you are the drug, you are wonderful, you are amazing. So many wonderful things. And to the person who's like stuck in self-judgment and self-criticism, like, what are you, what are you talking about, Aura? <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Okay. Yes, yes, definitely. So how do we, you know, how do we come to such an understanding about being the high and the drug and the wonderfulness and the amazingness? <laughs> You know, for anybody that's really trying to talk about love, you know, talk about self-love, talk about mindfulness, we always run the risk of people being suspect of it. Do you know, like, yeah, right, that sounds all really great, but, you know, I'm having a really crappy day and I'm really feeling down on myself. And positivity has gotten a bad rap in many ways. <laughs> you know, I understand that. And I always like to, especially when I'm talking about my work, and that includes my first book, Says Who, which is a cognitive method for transforming negative and fear-based thoughts. I say, look, own your thoughts and not just the pretty ones. You know, it's okay to acknowledge when you just don't feel like you're very positive and you don't want to say something to yourself like, I'm the high, I'm the drug, I'm the magic. It just isn't resonating for you. I'm okay with all of that. And the truth is, we're all going to have those days, including myself. I say not every day is positive. 
And this isn't just about, you know, pushing positivity down everybody's throats. There are a lot of people that don't agree with that. Now, what I'm inviting you in to do is to try it. And maybe when you're really down on yourself and you're telling yourself all sorts of horrible things about yourself, I have a technique in my first book called Says Who, as I said, called the Release and Replace Technique, which simply means just take that negative thought and replace it with its positive counterpart, even if you don't feel like it, or even if you don't feel it, and feel the difference in your body and tell me what that feels like. If you tell yourself that you're just a piece of crap, or you're worthless, or you're unlovable, or no one's going to love you, or you're never going to be successful, or on and on and on, the garden variety of all the negative things people tell themselves, whatever their respective inner critical self-talk is, it's only for us to know what that is. If you even just try to replace something that you're telling yourself that's not very lovable with something that's a little bit more lovable, I can bet you that you're going to feel better. Just somatically, just in the body, it's just evidence-based. You're going to feel different. And some people are resistant to doing that. And okay, I get that, do you know? And what I really do with my books and my work is I invite the reader in to at least try. Just try it and see if it works for you. Mm. So important to bring in the body. I think a lot of people get caught up with the mind part of mindfulness and they think it's a mental exercise, almost like, you know, a Sudoku puzzle or something that's just <laughs> designed as to develop the mind. But of course, once we replace our thinking, it feeds directly into the sense of joy and freedom that we feel in our bodies. And it sounds like we've touched on this a little bit, this idea of transformational thinking. So you mentioned one technique is to release the negative thought. Notice that we have this negative thought, release it, and then replace it with its positive counterpart. And I also love your advice to own your thoughts and not just the pretty ones, because often the negative thoughts are like, oh, that's not me. I'm a positive person. And so let's get to the kind of nuts and bolts of it. What is transformational thinking? Transformational thinking is thinking based on changing again, you know, if you want to go into changing, let's say a negative thought and transforming it, which is another word for change, as I just proposed to its positive counterpart. And then you experience a transformation, whether it's a transformation in your thinking, whether again, going to the body somatically transformation in feeling. And what you're really doing is you're cultivating new habits of thinking if you will, which is really what my work is about and why I have that heading, if you will, for all the work that I do, which is my institute, the Institute for Transformational Thinking. May all the work be supported so that one can achieve levels of thinking that serve their well-being ultimately. And that is a form of transformation. So you're taking yourself in one perhaps mode of thinking and you're transforming it into another mode of thinking. And you're really going from negative to positive, if you will. So that's the way I define transformation. I mean, the literal meaning of that is to change from one thing to another. And it reminds me of this phrase that the mind is a terrible master, but a great slave, something along those lines. Yeah. And I'm wondering, what does it mean to be master of our own minds? I think a lot of times people think they are their mind. They think they are their thoughts. And they also don't know quite what to do with the challenging thoughts that they are experiencing in the moment. But when we come into what you might call a higher or greater level of thinking, we realize that we are 
much more than our thoughts. So on this path of becoming master of our mind, what can we expect along the way? Well, first of all, that again, you know, I keep circling back to mindfulness. Mindfulness is having the awareness of many things in the moment that you are in, but certainly of your thoughts. So you're right, Zach, so many people feel that they're separate from their mind, which then leads them to believe that their mind is the master of them, or the mind is controlling them, and they have no control over their thoughts. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. And how people arrive at that belief, I have no idea. And that's why I think proposing an inquiry or questioning our thoughts, which is really an age-old wisdom, it's very, it goes back to so- Socrates, you know, it's like, I think therefore I am, or very platonic, Plato, you know, these are age-old wisdom concepts of who is the thinker? Is someone thinking me or am I thinking my thoughts, do you know? And the fact that we have a say in the matter of what we think, what's really fascinating about the work that I do, I feel primarily with my questioning method with says who, which as I said, is a, it's a seven question method that I created that I have worked with thousands of people that just literally stop in their tracks with a thought that they have that maybe they've been carrying around for most of their life that is negative or fear-based And when I ask them some of the says who questions, they look like a deer in headlights because they never thought to question one of their thoughts before. Hmm. You know, a few of the says who questions, some of my favorites are, does this thought work for you? Or do you like that thought? Or have you heard someone say that thought before? Or does that thought make you feel better? I mean, when I've asked that question to people that are so enmeshed or so at the effect, of this thought that they're telling themselves that they feel they absolutely have no separation from, and I start to ask them questions about the thought, just simply starting with that, it short circuits the thought. You now have a separation between your stimulation of that thought and your response to that thought. There's a space there. So people suddenly are entertaining the possibility that they can actually have a thought pause, be with it, and question it as to whether or not it's true or not. Hmm. Gee, what a concept. Yeah, I love what you said about when people feel separate from their mind, it leads them to believe that their mind is controlling them. And yes, indeed, so often, you know, thoughts that are totally out of our control come up and they make us feel bad and they make us feel sad. And I love this questioning of the thoughts that you're describing. I love this looking at the thoughts that you're describing. And I'm wondering if we could do like a quick case study based around almost current events, because you described transformational thinking as cultivating new habits of thinking and to cultivate new levels of thinking that actually serve our well-being. I have this pandemic in the back of my mind and I have California on fire and many people think, you know, we're at the end of times and global warming is going to heat the planet. And we have so many challenging circumstances going on politically around racial justice, around the election and the new president, or staying with the current president. And we're all stuck in our homes and stuck with our own thoughts. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So I don't want to think that the world is ending. This does not make me feel very good. So I am wondering, how do we shift from these thoughts based in fear, based in worry, based in concern, to more 
transformational thinking that's more serving to our well-being, but also potentially even just initiating positive action in the world and not feeling so hopeless about the way things are. Right. Well, first of all, with the pandemic right now, with everything that's going on, never have we experienced in our lifetime such a challenging time, an unprecedented time, where we are really being asked to work with our thoughts in ways we never have before because the fear is genuine. It's the fear of an unknown or the fear of a novel virus that affected the entire world. We have so many things that we were broadsided with that of course we're going to react to that with fear, anxiety, worry, concern. And that I just want to say is absolutely natural to feel all of those things. So that's just a given. So we know that we're going to be feeling all these different stages of even grief, if you will, for a world that once was that doesn't seem like it exists anymore right now. So how do we work through that? How do we move through that? The best way to work with it is to be able to work with the thoughts that we have in the moment that we're having them. We may very easily have a thought that comes up like, oh my God, the world is coming to an end. This is Armageddon. You know, it's the end of the world. I'm going to get coronavirus. My loved ones are going to get it. Everybody's going to die on and on and on. Whatever those thoughts are that are reverberating in your mind. If we don't catch that, if we don't work with it, if we don't know how to navigate these choppy waters, we are so going to be at the effect of those thoughts. And what do you think is going to happen? It's going to just spiral down and it's going to get worse and it's going to exacerbate the anxiety. It's going to exacerbate the depression. And as it is already, which is very alarming, is that people are turning to drugs and alcohol and anything that they possibly can more than ever before just to ameliorate some of the discomfort that they are feeling. Now, again, I understand that and I'm not making light of anybody who really feels they need help, be it through medication or whatever you feel is working effectively for you. That's not my angle. My angle is working with our thoughts. And what I propose, and again, where mindfulness is so key, is that if or when a thought comes in like, this is the end of the world, it's happening, why is this life even worth living? You want to be really mindful of the thoughts that you're telling yourself. Because if you don't work with them, again, it can really become destructive and not serve your well-being in the least bit. So I really want people to be very mindful of the thoughts that they're telling themselves. And if or when a thought comes in, really self-dialogue, whether you do it silently to yourself, that means having an awareness of whatever thought comes up that might be really scary or fear-based and say, look, I get it. I'm really scared right now. I'm really worried about the future. I don't think I'm going to be okay. Okay, what can I do right now in this moment that can make me be okay in this moment? Because this is the only moment I've got right now. What can I do? Can I get up and go take a walk? Can I do something called mindfulness walking, you know, where you go out and you connect to nature, take a bath, do something, journal, do anything that can move your focus and attention off of the thoughts that are just increasing in volume and intensity and get your focus and attention and awareness on something that is helping you, that is serving your well-being. 
This isn't, by the way, escapist. This is just about self-care. And this is about self-love. This is about needing to take care of ourselves right now when we are so challenged, when we are so stressed out. As I say, we need to really bump up our self-care right now more than ever. We absolutely do. I was I was just about to write an article on that, but basically now is a perfect time to double down on our self-care and self-love practices. Absolutely. You know, I know it's challenging and I know it's really hard and I work with so many people that tell me that they're really having a hard time, you know, and I understand that. I really do. I mean, we're all getting waves of things. But what's really important is to work through it. You know, I say life is like an ocean. Sometimes the sea is choppy and tumultuous and very dangerous. And sometimes the sea is calm. Well, right now the sea is very tumultuous and very choppy. And we have to be good navigators. We have to be good sailors and captains. We really need to sail this ship correctly. And we need to rise to the occasion to do so. And working with our thoughts is a really important factor as far as navigating these choppy waters. Imagine yourself if you were on a great ship and it seemed like it was sinking. You wouldn't want the captain of the ship to be freaking out. You know, you'd want to make, you know, you'd want to believe that they are doing their the best they can to save everybody on that ship. No, absolutely. And I love your approach around probing our thoughts, working with our thoughts in the moment when we're having them, remaining curious, really questioning whether or not the thoughts we're having are serving us. And I'm almost reminded of this quote by the Buddha along the lines of what we think we become which many people have repeated in different ways throughout the years, and realizing that, yeah, the fear and the worry that we're focusing on is going to overcome us if we don't shift to something better. Yes. And I want to link this probing curiosity that you're bringing to the conversation with something you said earlier around being a seeker of knowledge and truth. And I'm wondering what your path towards knowledge and truth has been. For example, in our society, we say, oh, if you want knowledge, you should go to school and you should get a PhD and then you can learn things. But then you read something like Lao Tzu and it will say that true knowledge is within us. <laughs> and somebody else might say, oh, no, you have to find a guru, a, a, a spiritual leader to spell this knowledge for you. And I'm wondering for you on this path of gaining this wisdom that you are now sharing with the world and what has it looked like? Where have you gained this knowledge and truth that you have been seeking? Well, I really subscribe to the Buddhist term open mind, wise mind. There's an actual book called that. Do you know that we always have the open mind and even the master can learn from the student. Mm. So I like to say that I have an open mind. I'm always open to learn. I don't feel that I have all the answers. Do you know? Now, if somebody wants to become a doctor mm -hmm. and needs to get their PhD or become, you know, a lawyer or any vocation that requires to be, you know, degreed. I'm, I'm all for that. But, you know, I think life school is the greatest teacher there is if you don't want to, you know, <laughs> be something like a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. Not that they're mutually exclusive. You can pursue both of them simultaneously. But for me, the greatest way to learn is to first and foremost have an open mind, you know, not to rush to judgment and not to arrogantly feel that you have all the answers. And you know, I do think that a lot of answers lie within in that that's why the inner journey is so important, you know, and because we live in a world where there's so much external 
information coming at us and we're being bombarded by it more than ever. We're on social media, especially now with the news and there's something called fake news and there's, you know, science versus pseudoscience and everybody's weighing in on social media about what they think is, are the real facts or what are not. And we're witnessing that certainly in the political arena daily. I think it's incumbent upon each of each and every one of us is to get more educated. And by that, I mean, I don't mean a traditional education. I mean, get education, get educated in the area that you feel you want to be better knowledgeable about. So that means do your own research, go down whatever rabbit holes work for you, read books of people that you admire and respect, and don't just be so quick to take information or trust somebody else's facts that doesn't resonate for you. I think right now, more than ever before, this is something we are all facing and that we have to do our own research, our own seeking, if you will. I have found that during this time with COVID and everything else that's gone on, if you just really did your own research about the virus, global warming, Black Lives Matter, systemic racism, and on and on, all of the things that we have been really facing during this time. And if you stayed open and you said, you know what, I want to know more about all of these areas. I want to know more. I want to get well-informed about these subjects because what we're witnessing right now is so much opposition. There is so much dissent amongst people today. I'm right, you're wrong. Do you know? And in an area that you might not know anything about, that is just sheer ignorance. To weigh in on a subject, you really need to get well informed about it before you start espousing what you think are your facts. And I say this even for myself. I don't want to claim that I know definitively. And I know we're in a very precarious time where there's a lot of people being very hostile to one another about what constitutes science versus pseudoscience. And a lot of that is going on right now. Do your own research. Do your own due diligence. You want to know about something that is important to you, then you discover what that truth is for you. Do not impose it on someone else and do not insist that your truth is the only truth because that is not truth. And again, we go back to the great wisdom teachers. So to go a little bit back to your original question, how does one do that? That's personal. I think we've moved past the guru worshiping phase, but that's just my personal opinion. I think that that's putting it on someone else, like lead the way for me. You tell me who I am. Now, with all due respect to anybody who feels they need a guru, I bless you on that journey. I do think that right now we are facing so much more of what we have to take responsibility for ourselves. And I know it's really uncomfortable for a lot of people. They just don't want to work that hard. This is a time where, again, I really believe that it's incumbent upon us to do the work. And that's why I'm a big advocate of the inner work, Mm -hmm. because by just relying on outside forces to figure us out for us is, I think, a cop out. Indeed. The answers lie within. 
it is incumbent on us to do the work, the inner work and being true to ourselves. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Aura, for sharing your wisdom with us on the show. We're running a bit low on time, so I simply want to ask you a question I love to ask all of my guests, which is quite simply, what do you wish everyone knew about love? That love is the most real thing that there is on this planet. Hmm. Love is the most real thing on this planet. So in your seeking of knowledge and truth sounds like love is the answer love is the answer i mean we can twist it turn (laughs) it distort it pollute it (laughs) you know uh, traipse upon (laughs) it uh, deny it do horrible things to it but at the end love will prevail wonderful thank you so much aura for sharing your passion for truth and wisdom and love and self-love and transforming our thinking to be more positive and self and life serving and for our listeners who want to learn more about you how can they find you and you mentioned this live true journal that sounds forthcoming so are there any offerings that you want our listeners to know about yes well first of all zach thank you for having me and your questions were wonderful i really enjoyed our conversation and people can find me on my website or inadrich.com. Yes, my Live to Daily Journal. It's probably going to be coming out in November and it will be on Amazon. So look for that. It'll be a great companion to my book, Live True. And I also want to mention something that I have going on that's really um, growing in leaps and bounds. And that is I have an online thought coach program which is to become a certified thought coach. And whether you want to hang your shingle out as a thought coach, or you just want to know more about transformational thinking, this is a really illuminating course to take. And that is online. So you can go to my website and, you know, click onto the tab that says courses. Um, It's grown exponentially. I have almost 75 graduates from all over the world. And what's really exciting is I now have some of my graduates who are becoming facilitators in specialized areas of of their own personal expertise. I just wanted to share that as well. Some people might be looking for something to do. They're in transition themselves with work and that might resonate for them. Certified thought coach. Amazing to think of 75 thought coaches around the world transforming our thinking to be more positive in life. (laughs) I know, it's exciting. (laughs) I, I was a life coach for over 10 years and I realized what I was doing is I was helping people overcome their negative and fear based thoughts and retitled myself as a thought coach and never looked back. Well, thanks again, Aura, for coming on to the show. Appreciate you sharing your wisdom and transformational thinking. And thank you listeners for listening to the show. We hope you remember to be true to yourself, to be genuine with others, and that every moment offers up an extraordinary array of possibilities to be kind and loving to others and ourselves in this glorious moment that we are in. If you want to learn more about me, you can head to zachbeach.com and learn more about this show at theheartcenter.com. Thanks again, Aura. Thank you so much, Zach. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to zachbeach.com or theheartcenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 